is Saturday night. It is the Irish NFL show. It is the sixth night in a row that we've been on somebody's screen. Uh, sorry in regards to that, but boys, we are, we're back again and we're ready for it. Here we go. Here's the boys. Hi, how are you doing? We're back and we're ready for it all over again. We are indeed. Colin, how are you? What's the crack? How's it going? It's going good. Does Brian go up there? I mean, Adam's going to keep these boys. I don't even know what's going on. Uh, actually, yeah, I don't know. Not, not a week. Boys, night six in a row. Um, Colin, I'll start with you. you is, is that coffee at three minutes past ten? It is indeed, yes. Because uh, there has been so, so much ha- happening. Uh, you know, the round we had rounds two and three, which we're we're going to discuss, but uh, the remainder of the draft is playing out as we are uh, live here at the at the moment, uh, which is why uh, you know one of our our guests was due to come on and be here right now, uh, but then the uh, Arizona Cardinals went and picked, so unfortunately he has had to go on TV and cannot be with us at the moment. And first off, obviously, Trust. Thank you very much to Trust uh, providing the equipment for this show, making the magic literally happen. We're also on Pundit Arena tonight as well. Thank you to our partners at Pundit Arena. Brian, Colin just reminded me there that the draft's on right now. And I have forgot to put it on my second screen on the skybox behind me. But uh, I'm sure, Brian, you can keep us updated the same way you kept us updated during the draft. Mate. I think, to be honest, there's no drama when it comes to Saturday evening and the draft <laughs> in comparison to the first night and the second night i mean we don't even get to this stage where the extent of someone even bothering to come onto the stage and announce the the selection is literally just comes up on the ticker and they quickly move on to the next team and player so i think at this stage the uh, the big stuff has really happened absolutely and mark uh, a very busy week for you as well man a late night on thursday how uh, were you able to catch much of this draft last night or did you fall asleep like i think half of ireland and the uk did Oh, I fell asleep, Michael, but I was up at 5am, so it's always nice to wake up to all the news and views as to what's been happening in rounds two and three. And, and like tonight, obviously, before we go to bed, we'll, we'll get the full breakdown as to who has who and what's been going on. Um, I always love this part of the draft in one respect, because it's the players that you start to get uh, kind of un- unusually attached to in a weird way. You'll see them in practice camp. You say, I knew that guy was going to be a star. I knew that guy was going to make it and, and things like that. And then he gets cut like just before on the 53-man cut down. And you suddenly go, oh, well, maybe maybe the scouts and the uh, the coaches and the team knew a little bit better. But, you know, round six and seven are going on at the moment, Michael. You know, Terrell Davis, Tom Brady, Julian Edelman, you know, there's some good players that kind of tend to pop up in these rounds as well. So these are the guys that hopefully will round out the teams that will uh, make it all happen next year in February, obviously, at the Super Bowl. Obviously as well, like, you know, talking, of course, very good point. They're sixth, seventh round, but even the fourth and fifth rounds, guys like Kirk Cousins, Stack Prescott, you can find really, really good value in these rounds. Colin, was there anybody that even um, stood out to you from last night or this afternoon? Um, I think that the, probably the, the standout because he fell and, and still nobody can really explain why is uh, Jeremiah Wusu-Koromoa, who went at number 52 to the Browns, um, you know, was considered one of the standout uh, defensive players going into the draft. Uh, everyone really impressed with what he could do at linebacker. Uh, a lot of people very impressed with the, the Browns picking him up. A really, um, you know, brilliant piece to add to um what is already a pretty strong roster you would have to say so that is one thing that definitely kind of stood out to me i think i saw you know most uh 
the most of the teams around the league fans tweeting the saying, pick up, pick him up, pick him up, pick him up. But I was the, the Browns who who did it. Um, the other piece is probably with the Cardinals picking up Rondale Moore. I think we are officially going to be saying goodbye to Larry Fitz. I, I don't think Larry Fitz is going to be coming back. Um, given that they have AJ Green and Rondale Moore now, it's it's unlikely. And I think this is well into the latest in terms of uh, Larry ever saying uh, that he, he would or wouldn't be coming back. Uh, to me, it, it seems like it's unlikely. So those were probably the, the two biggest pieces that stood out to me uh, in terms of uh, last night's picks. Brian, am I right in thinking that your Giants traded down at one point last night? You must have been devastated. Well, I was just going to make the point, and you know, normally I tend not to too, get too hung up on the Giants, but actually Giants and the Bears for me were the two from, from last night. Gettleman's never traded down as general manager ever before Thursday, and then two nights in a row he does it. But um, Jim Nagy in our interview last week mentioned, mentioned Ajiz Ujulari, who could potentially be a first-round player, and the Giants got him. He had nine and a half sacks, most in the SEC last year. They moved down eight spots, still got the player that they wanted, picked up another pick for next year, stockpiling for next year already. And the other team, the Bears, actually, you know, Tevin Jenkins was in a lot of mock drafts for the first round to go 2015, there or thereabouts potentially, between that 15 and 25 range. Bears seem to be the team that was heavily kind of muted in terms of they would be the ones that would go for him, and they picked him up in the second round. So for a player that they, a lot of people thought they would take in the first round, they got him in the second round and potentially have their future quarterback. So I thought the Bears did really well in that instance. Did you have an enjoyable breakfast TV this morning experience, Mark, with with the draft? I, and I, I did, Michael. I did. It was it was it was nice uh, with uh, yeah um, to catch up on everything. I mean, I suppose one I was going to call out was Olajari. I was keen to see where he went, and fair play to Brian's Giants picking him up. Um, the other New York team annoyed me as well, though, because Elijah Moore was one of the guys that slipped down in the first round. I think he, you know, from everything I've seen, he, he looks like a, a pro ready slot receiver who can make a difference from day one. Um, and the Pats still have wide receiver needs. So I was hoping to see he might have slipped down and we picked him up in the second round. But uh, um, the Jets picked him up. I think that was a good move. You know, a couple of trends stood out, Michael. I mean, the SEC dominance at the program just becomes even more clear. We talked about Alabama dominating the first round, but between Alabama and Georgia, et cetera, I think the first two, three rounds, I mean, it was the third round before you had two Big 12 players picked. Um the teams are very much looking at that conference constantly, obviously still sharpening still, so they're seeing good fran- uh, good franchises, good unis and colleges going up against good colleges, so a better basis to judge players against. But the other theme as well was the, uh, and you just called out, like people like Dak Prescott and Kirk Cousins can be picked up in the fourth round. So the, uh, the quarterbacks picked up in rounds two and three were equally intriguing. Um, Carl Trask potentially as a, the long-term heir to uh, Tom Brady at Tampa Bay, uh, and and Kellen Mond, uh, who could be the long-term heir to Kirk Cousins at Minnesota. Obviously, interesting to see that pick up. Um, so you know a few of those that I think are always interesting. We're always watching the quarterbacks, but uh, again. Let's get to September. Let's see some of these guys on the field. Let's see how they coach up. Let's see how they adapt into the system. And, you know, let's go. We have a few great guests coming up. A guy who writes for the Vikings, Ben Gessling, is coming on the show. Great Iron Simon Clancy, very interested to hear from him, is going to come on. And hopefully, provided that John Lynch and Mr. Shanahan don't go mad with press conferences, Cam Inbrim, 
uh, who writes and reports for the 49ers is going to pop in at some point before the end of the show column. I was delighted last night uh, because I, and please correct me if I'm wrong, I am nearly sure Jim Nagy mentioned this guy last week. Um, Quinn Miners, the guy with a big belly. No, he probably didn't, but just look at that. No, he, look at he, that. he did. He, I mean, uh, in fairness to, to Jim, he, he, he did. He covered a, a lot of ground with us uh, last week and provided plenty of um, insights. So um, he, he was one of, one of the guys mentioned. But yes, his, uh, his workout video, uh, I, was, I was hoping you were going to play your, uh, your little piece that you put together. Uh, <laughs> Maybe maybe later on, but Brian, he definitely's had a few Kimberly biscuits, hasn't he? He looks a, looks a stout lad. Let's, let's, let's put it like that. <laughs> it's just uh, an interesting one. I, I, I saw it this morning when I was actually reviewing where players went. You know, there was the, the five key quarterbacks, and then thereafter, there was an interest around potentially three Davis Mills, Kellen Mond, and do the name escapes me. Um, sorry, trust that's gone to, to the books. But the fact that a lot of people felt that Davis Mills would be the first of those three to go. And in fact, he ended up being the last. And he's gone to the Texans now. And all of a sudden, the stories have, have been, I suppose the Deshaun Watson saga has been re-energized again today. Whatever whatever is going on outside of the football, but the fact that they're saying, well, if they've, if they've taken a quarterback very early in the tour round, well, then obviously they're looking to the future. But having this to quite a few reviews today of the rounds they're saying hold your horses yeah he's a good quarterback but he's certainly not ready to be stepping into the league just yet absolutely absolutely mark uh, i was gonna just get you before a guest comes on i'm not sure if you've seen this too much because i know you're a busy man we're all busy in that sense but uh, the panthers and their gm uh, is a camera as scott fitterer obviously previously with the seahawks he's had more trades than anything else to be honest with you it's been, it's been a bit mad but i guess it's good in terms of the timing yeah yeah, I mean, like, you, you've got to try to maximize. And obviously, you know, when you've got a lot of needs, as the Panthers do in diverse places, like play with the ball, like get the players you want, but play it up and down. Um, there are teams I think you can still exploit, even though you think it was quite professional at this stage in terms of their asks. Some will say some of the trades already have been pretty lopsided. The, the Pats tried out for Barmore. They really wanted him. They went up eight places and gave up two fourth-rounders in the second round to do that. I mean, that seems a pretty big overpay but um i think gettleman actually from the giants has done the best job in terms of navigating the board so far picking up the assets for next year and still picking up quality or perceived quality players i mean we're all going on our perception of course some of these guys are going to be bust some of these guys are going to wash out some of these guys are going to be awful even though they look fantastic at the moment but the the players that the um the draft the giants have had looks looks great but yeah the panthers are going here there and everywhere and one other one, Michael, I should have called out when I was going through the quarterbacks, of course. Um, he's um, he's going to cook something up. Uh, Mr. Book from Notre Dame, who's gone to the Saints. Um, could he, in fact, rather than the uh, quarterbacks currently on the roster, be the long-term solution to the Hall of Fame of Drew Brees? Um, not a surprise yeah. to see them get him in for depth, but, you know, just another one to watch and see how it all pans out. Let's see what happens. We've got our first guest here now. Delighted to bring somebody on and bring these guys on during the draft as this happens, so we will not keep them too long. But uh, we've got Ben Gessling from the Star Tribune reports on the Vikings coming in. Ben, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, guys. I'm uh, happy to be here. Ben, you're obviously, first of all, a busy man. If something happens, if you get a phone call, if you're, you just, just go. It's all good. You're, you're not going to offend us, but uh, welcome in. going to ask you just very quickly, first of all, before we get to the football talk, we ask every guest this uh, 
any affinity to Ireland, Ben? Have you, ever, have you ever been over to Ireland or have you been to maybe a game with the Vikings in London? Uh, I have been to two Vikings games in London. Yes, that's that's the closest I've been to Ireland. I would like to get there someday. I've had friends that have had obviously great experiences there and um, have have spoken very highly of it, but have not made my way to uh, that side of that particular side of of uh, the British Isles yet. But uh, hopefully, at some point, I can do that. An extra incentive, I guess, now uh, to, to come on over. Uh, and um, I suppose, look, we, we could start with the the, the, co the, the coaching changes this, this offseason, but given that we're in the midst of the draft, um, your your thoughts, I suppose, firstly, on the what the Vikings did in the, the first round on Thursday night, Ben? Well, I mean, offensive line was going to be the, the big need for them, and it has been probably for... Well, let's see. This is my going into my 10th year on the beat. And it's probably been an issue for seven or eight of those years in, in one form or another. So uh, to say it's it's the issue this year is is probably understating it a little bit. So that said, they needed a tackle. I mean, Riley Reef being gone and they have had a lot of issues with that group as a whole. So uh, Christian Derisaw was somebody that I thought they would be very interested in. It was uh, somebody I had picked for them to take in, in the mock draft I did. And and they made it interesting by trading back as far as they did. And I think even in their own room, uh, you know, Mike Zimmer said it the other night, and I've talked to a couple other coaches in the building that were saying, yeah, you know, it, it, um, it we kind of got put on the, on the roller coaster a little bit emotionally when Rick Spielman trades back like that. But uh, if he does one thing well, it is, it tends to be that he reads the board and knows where he can go and still get what he wants. So doing what they did, I think, up front was was certainly the big need. And uh, they at least addressed it. And we'll, we'll see if the guys that they added uh, will pan out. Ben, a lot of needs for the team defensively. Last season, the secondary was exploited quite a few times. That game on Christmas Day where they yeah. gave up six, six touchdowns, in particular to Alvin Kamara. So going into the third round, in a round where they had quite a – quite a lot of picks. Were you surprised to see that they went with the quarterback, Kellen Mons, initially? And does that really kind of run towards a competition at some stage, or is it just a case of he'll sit and wait for a year or two? Well, you know, they had done a lot of work on quarterbacks, at least before the draft, and you, you thought they might take one at some point. For them to do it when they did, um, it was there was kind of a run on them there. I mean, Kyle Trask went right before Mond, and then Davis Mills went right after. So I think they sort of knew that that was going to be a spot where if we're going to do it, we have to take one here. And I think it was probably sooner than a lot of people maybe expected that they would, but if that's the guy that they wanted, and, and they certainly had done a lot of work on him among other guys, that's where they had to take him. And so as far as where that goes, I think – Initially, he comes in, Rick Spielman was fairly clear about it yesterday, that he comes in as the backup, and, and they needed one after Sean Mannion hasn't been re-signed. So they have a need there immediately, but they are certainly looking toward the future because Kirk Cousins is signed through 2022 and makes an awful lot of money. Kirk Cousins is going to be the quarterback while he's on the roster, but they do have to start thinking about the future there. He, he'll be 33 in – August and and it's it's not that's not old for a quarterback he's been extremely durable but given the price given the sort of ceiling it would seem like Cousins has 
you do have to start thinking about, is there a better way to construct our team rather than continue to pay $35 million a year for a quarterback who's been good, but probably not great. So I think in the short term, he, he learns, he, he learns the offense and kind of gets a chance to develop. But I think in their minds, he could be, you know, a year or two down the road could be the heir apparent or, if Kirk Cousins continues to play well enough to earn the contract, then maybe you trade him. Maybe it's just a chip to get Kirk Cousins motivated to, to kind of find that next level. We'll, we'll see. But it's it's interesting because they haven't done this very much. They've only drafted a quarterback typically when they really need one. So the fact that they did it here would, given their history, tell you that it's not just a plan for him to be the backup forever. Um, and I mean, the, the brains trust there in Minnesota deserves a, a fair bit of credit for the last few drafts. Obviously, the pickup of Justin Jefferson, who was um, some people, including some people on this uh, show, who's uh, rookie of the year last season, was yeah. uh, you know um, a, a great pickup by them. And obviously, this year you alluded to it already. The trade back from fourteen to twenty-three, and still probably picking up the tackle that they would have taken at fourteen, and people wouldn't have criticised them for. But it's led them to actually have. A, I don't think I've ever seen this in recent times. Like the amount of picks they've had now in rounds three and four, and they've taken and five. I mean, seven in rounds three and four, nine in total when you add in there two in round five. Um, the Vikings flattered last year an awful lot. Do you think they really need this like influx of young, capable talent? Do you, you know, are you excited by any of the picks they've particularly they've picked up there, uh, or is it going to be maybe some surprise cuts so that it leads to in the long term? Or do they have the space for that number of new rookies? Well, it's interesting because they had, of course, and you alluded to it, they had the 15-player draft class last year, which set a, a modern-era record, at least in the, in the seven-round draft era. They have – I mean, some of it has been they need cheap talent because they pay a quarterback what they pay Kirk Cousins, and they've also tried to keep a defense together that – is not cheap. I mean, they have wanted to draft and develop and keep a lot of the players that they have brought in over the years. And those guys are on second contracts. So kind of wanting to have both of these things. And as part of this, as part of this identity they've tried to build, they pay a running back an awful lot of money. So at some point, something has to give and you need cheap labor uh, to try to fill out the rest of the roster. So some of these young guys are there for that reason. But yeah, you, you do get to a point where you need some of them to pan out and you need some of them to produce pretty quickly because this is a year, I think, where a lot of people have things on the line if they don't win. They have had this pattern of they make the playoffs when it's an odd year <laughs> and in even numbered years, they miss the playoffs. That has been the, the pattern every year of the Mike Zimmer-Rick Spielman partnership. So the, the the pattern would suggest then that they should make the playoffs this year. And if that doesn't happen, I, I think just two years of, of making the play or missing the playoffs in general, regardless of the pattern is going to be something where ownership says, we've given you a lot of time. We put a lot of money into a stadium. We put a lot of money into a practice facility. We put a lot of money into the roster. What do we have to show for it? So it is, I think a year where they need to win. And then that does make you sort of wonder do they need some of these guys to hit and contribute right away, given the fact that your rookies last year were, I mean, they got great experience playing, but they were raw. They didn't have training camp. They didn't have an offseason. They still have a lot of development to do on their own right. So a guy like Wyatt Davis that they took in the middle rounds, the, the guard from Ohio State, I think will have a chance to come in and compete for a job. They, they, they could use an, another guard in addition to 
Um, Ezra Cleveland probably staying there now that Christian Darasaw is going to be a tackle. But guys like that, I think, will have a chance to come in and, and try to, to claim a job. And uh, this class probably needs a few of those to hit for the, uh, the improvement that they're looking for to happen. I would be remiss if I didn't say uh, UK Vikings fans are saying Skull to Ben. Great draft, best did I think A minus. I'm gonna try Ben and get one little question in each before this goes off. I know you might be you might have to run, so it's all good. But you're talking about Wyatt Davis. Uh, were you surprised at where they picked him? Because they were like, you know, he did fall a little bit, or we, yeah. I, I guess in that sense. Yeah, I mean, I think they were looking for a guard there. I, I thought they would they would probably take one in that in that third fourth round range. I you know it, he's a guy that I think a lot of people before the draft liked, and and they have liked Ohio State offensive linemen as I suppose a lot of people do. But that interior offensive line group has produced a lot of NFL players. Corey Lindsley, uh, Pat Alfline followed him. Pat Alfline, of course, was in Minnesota for a few years, and and that didn't pan out. Quite, the, quite to the degree that they wanted, but he has had flashes of, of being a solid NFL player. And, of course, the, the Packers went back into the Ohio State kind of tree there to, to find a replacement for Corey Lindsley. And then, and then Wyatt Davis obviously comes in and is maybe something of a replacement for Pat Elfline. I think that school, of course, it's a, an, a, a group that plays a lot of high-level games, plays in a physical conference, plays in the, in the college football playoffs every year and has an identity of we're going to be able to beat you up. And one of the things we heard Mike Zimmer talk about was we wanted to get bigger and probably more physical up front. And and he certainly gives them some of that, I think. So the fact that they took a guard there, I, I think, was something that was on their list in those middle rounds and, and certainly a need. We'll see if uh, he can come in and claim the job because he'll certainly have the opportunity to uh, to fight for it. Um, ben, as a as a Broncos fan, Gary Kubiak will always have a, a special place in uh, in my heart. But um, w- you know, I, again, going back to the Broncos, the, you know, we we had the, the Mike Shanahan and uh, tree, and, and coming out of that, Kyle. Obviously, Gary has moved on, and now you have Finn Kubiak uh, coming in. Will Will there be any changes to the the Minnesotan offense? You know, it's going to be really interesting to see because we have exactly zero uh, history watching Clint Kubiak as a play caller. So there's a little bit of conjecture that has to come with what his tendencies are going to be. You would assume that the offense isn't going to change much, both because he learned it from his dad. He spent a lot of time around his dad and the Vikings didn't want it to change. They wanted it to be fairly similar to keep the familiarity that they've had with Gary Kubiak. And before that, even Kevin Stefanski trying to keep all that stuff in place for Kirk Cousins. So I, I think it will be very similar to that. My question is going to be, do things open up a little bit more in terms of using three receivers, in terms of trying to introduce some passing concepts that maybe teams have used a little more than the Vikings and try to open things up a little bit more that way? And does, does the run-pass split change? Will Clint Kubiak have full control to do that? Or does Mike Zimmer's uh, well-stated uh, preference for running the ball fairly frequently, does that win out again? So it's going to be very interesting to watch because everybody is sort of saying, well, if it was Gary doing it this way, it's going to be Clint being automatically the same. I, I'm I'm curious to see if that'll be the case. My, my sense is that Clint Kubiak and Kevin Stefanski see the world very similarly as well. And I know Kevin Stefanski this year as the coach in Cleveland had a little more freedom to open things up and, and craft it the way he wanted to. Of course, as the head coach, you can do that. But 
um, how much freedom Clint Kubiak has to do it the way he wants and how much he departs from his dad, I think is going to be one of the more interesting plot lines to watch with the Vikings as we get into the season. Ben, just turning to the defensive side of, of the ball, um, I know you said it was, a, it was a glaring need, offensive line and picking a fourth team, but a lot of people felt they would look at defense, potentially a pass rusher, Jalen Phillips or a Quiddy Pay. But what's the overall toss of the defense? Because they were so erratic last year. And I remember after that Saints game, we were having an internal conversation. We felt that Zimmer, son, you know, it could be an awkward conversation coming to the end of the season that he might be released from his duties there. But they've, they've held on to him and stuff. Are, are you expecting a big upward curve next season, especially seeing that they've made some moves in the tour round to go defense? Well, they, I mean, they, I know they were looking pretty hard at, at pass rushers in round one. And I think when they traded back and the two names you mentioned, Jalen Phillips and Quiddy Pay, were two guys they were very interested in. So when those guys go off the board, I think some of that tension in that room was probably Mike Zimmer saying, hey, um, we need pass rush help. And these two guys just went. So if we don't get our guy, this is not going to be uh, a move that that panned out very well. So Obviously, it did. They wanted Darisaw, and, and they got him. But they do need pass rush help. I, I think they're hoping a lot of that comes in the form of Daniel Hunter coming back from that injury. But there's two questions there. Number one, of course, is he's coming off a neck injury. It's not a hamstring. It's not a, a calf strain. It's something that is a little hard to say that it's going to be, you know, put him back in and forget it. It's going to be fine. The other thing, of course, is his contract. So some of the issues he's had with where he's paid and what, where he'd like to be paid, I don't think are going to go away. So do they open that back up? Do they figure out a way to kind of meet him in the middle? Does he want to be met in the middle? I, I think if something was going to happen with him, it would have happened this week. If they were going to trade him, that would have happened before night one of the draft. But there's still the questions, I think, of the long term with him and how his health comes back. But if you have him, certainly the pass rush gets a lot better. And I think they hope guys like DJ Wanham, uh, some of the guys they added in this draft, in terms of pass rushers, I think they hope can can pan out. They added Stephen Weatherly. But a lot of this rides on Daniel Hunter coming back. A lot of it rides on Anthony Barr coming back. If they get those things, I think they feel like a lot of their improvement, at least in the front seven, is going to come from that. And then you hope that Cameron Dantzler's better in year two. You hope Patrick Peterson still has something left. Jeff Gladney, with his arrest last month, is, is something of an open question here. But um, I, I think they they believe that you'll have improvement there. And then I, I would, I guess, be remiss if I didn't say adding Dalvin Tomlinson and Michael Pierce, they think is going to, you know, the, the issues you mentioned on Christmas Day that we all saw with the Saints running all over them and Alvin Kamara scoring six touchdowns. I, I think the Vikings feel like, that's not going to happen as much with those two guys up front. And then all of a sudden, if it's third and eight, it's harder to throw. And then you have Daniel Hunter that can kind of go to work there. But as a, as a Giants fan, yeah, having watched Dalvin Thompson for a couple of years, he was a really solid second round pick, very underrated player. So I think they're getting a, real, a really good player there. Yeah, I mean, and he's a guy that I think they looked at him and saw Limbaugh Joseph, another former Giants defensive yeah. tackle. They signed right away in free agency. I mean, the couple of times that they've gone into the market, they have made it clear that our first priority is to get a run-stopping tackle. I mean, whether it was Linville Joseph, Michael Pierce, or Dalvin Tomlinson, really three times in the Zimmer era, the first thing they've done in free agency is say, let's go get this guy that we can stick in the middle. So it's um, you know, they're going to use Tomlinson not at the nose tackle spot. It's going to be uh, he's going to be the three technique, but I think they feel like that will make things easier for really everybody on their defense as well. 
Uh, ben, it's it's certainly been a roller coaster in that performance of the front seven the last couple of years. But I feel like, you know, we're pointing out the flaws. I mean, the Vikings, when it comes to certain areas, wide receiver, again, I'm going to dwell on where you think of um, Justin Jefferson and you think of Adam Thielen, but also Stefan Diggs picking up in the fifth round. They've picked up Steve, um, uh, Smith Marquette, uh, I think it is, in the uh, fifth yep. round now. Yeah, Marquette, sorry, I'm mispronouncing it. But he's a speed guy that can hopefully develop behind Jefferson and, and uh, Thielen as well, and they won't need to rely upon him too much. So, you know, Vikings fans, there's, there's great development there, and there's great opportunity there. I feel, though, however, I don't want to ask you about the draft. I want to ask you a quick question just generally on the Vikings, because you're in the locker room effectively every day on the beat. I know, obviously, last year with COVID, it was very different. Right. Um, right. And you've seen the interaction between the coaches, the players, and obviously dealing with the players, especially, as you say, this massive rookie class last year, and then now another massive rookie class coming in. Just in your time with the Vikings, any uh, particular story or scenario that stands out from you, the interactions with the players there, um, that's lawful and allowed to be shared, uh, <laughs> that, that uh, maybe Vikings fans over here in, in Europe might not have before and appreciate well, I mean, it's it's interesting with that group because there's there are a lot of players in that locker room that I think are they've been drafted and developed there, and you have a lot of guys that I, I think are very loyal to the way they do things, very loyal to Mike Zimmer. So you have the just the the overall dynamic of the locker room. You, you have that group of things, and then you have guys who have come in from other teams that have seen things done other ways. And sometimes it's not quite the same. I, I think the big thing you hear with players in terms of their relationships with that coaching staff is that the thing they like is that you always know where you stand. The thing that is difficult sometimes is that you always know where you stand in terms of uh, the, there's not a lot of, a lot, the, the bedside manner with Mike Zimmer is not, probably the uh, the thing he that has made his bones on. He, he's not the guy that's going to necessarily kind of put his arm around you and, and uh, tell you everything's great when it's not. But he's also the guy that will tell you exactly what you need to improve. And, and you know, a guy like Harrison Smith, I've talked to many, many times about, you know, things Mike Zimmer will point out and little things in terms of technique or in terms of what he's seeing that, uh, he always kind of holds Darren Woodson up as as the gold standard for safeties he's coached. And and there's a lot of times where he's kind of connected the two of them, gotten them in touch. Um, so I, I think they they trade a lot of notes. But that expertise that Mike Zimmer has, especially with the defensive backs, I, I know commands a lot of respect from a lot of those younger guys. And he can be very, command, very demanding to play for. But uh, I think the players that sort of, are loyal to him and very appreciative of him, especially on the defensive side of the ball. It's just the, the, his commitment to looking for every little thing that's going to make them better is, uh, is something that you always know you're going to get from him. Ben, I feel like we could talk to you for the next two or three hours about the Vikings and just that whole division, which I know is very interesting at the minute, but massively appreciate your time, especially on the day that it is, the weekend that it is. Hopefully get you on maybe during the summer or before the season starts, but for now, thanks a million. Take care, man. Yeah, absolutely. Let's uh, let's do it again. We I would love to uh, come back on and talk more. Cheers, Dan. Thank you. Thanks, right, thanks guys. Well, well, thanks, man. Uh, we're actually going to jump straight into our next guest. That was awesome to hear from the Vikings. I think it's the first time we'll have a somebody on from the Vikings as well, but we're delighted to welcome uh, Simon Clancy, lead writer at Gridiron, NFL, well, I would say NFL expert after reading that draft guide, but welcome in. Simon, how are you? Very well, boys. How are you? 
not too bad. Simon, we kept you waiting there. Apologies. I know well, you're probably sitting watching the draft, aren't you? So it's right, not too yeah. bad. But yeah, uh, good listen to Ben as well. So absolutely, man. Absolutely. Um, I ask everybody this, and look, I'm not. You're no different. But have you any affinity to Ireland? I, I know you're not too far away, man. I'm, I'm, I'm a Clancy, I'm a Clancy, which means Irish warrior. So my um, I have family in Kilkenny, and my dad was born in uh, born in London, but grew up in Ireland. I've um. Uh, three aunts who live in Ireland, uh, two in Kilkenny, one in Dublin. My uncle is a professor at University of Dublin. So, yeah, I've got a big affinity to Ireland. So, yeah. Asher, you're right at home. So, well, welcome in. Uh, well, you see, I'm amongst brothers. Yeah, in, indeed. <laughs> now, Michael uh, mentioned the, the draft guide that, that Great Ireland put together, and it is uh, it's a behemoth. So, uh, with, with so much, I suppose, love and attention gone into putting it together, this must be uh, a great time of the, the year for you. And, and like, can you talk to us about a bit about the process? But in terms of over the last uh, you know couple of days, how how uh, have you enjoyed the the twenty twenty one draft? Um, first, so the first part of that question, how it came together. I, I mean, I've been a draft fan for I don't know thirty six, thirty seven years. I know I don't look old enough. That's the first thought that you had, but yeah, that's um, it, it's been a kind of obsession, and it always was an obsession as a kid. I kind of was like, wow, this thing that we don't have over here, and the the jeopardy of it, and the just the really weird nature of it uh, and uh, so I kind of became obsessed with it became a bit obsessed with Mel Kuyper um, and used to write scouting reports you know when I was sort of 15 16 when guys were going out meeting girls and drinking beer I was sitting in my bedroom listening to the armed forces radio and listening to college games and writing scouting reports and those sorts of things and that's really how I got into it uh, and that's kind of just snowballed really and then the draft guide really came about uh, early in lockdown uh, and every year I try and get ahead of myself just in terms of getting, I obviously have a kind of a list of players who I'm you know, aware of as, as they develop from either from, uh, from their sophomore years into juniors or juniors into seniors. And I just thought, you know, it was early lockdown and I just started, uh, there was nothing really else going on. So I thought, I'll, I'll tell you what, I'll just get ahead of the game a little bit. I'll get ahead of the curve, start watching tape. And I started watching, I was writing and every evening it was just kind of quite nice to sit for two or three hours just quietly and, and research and dig around and watch stuff and you know you I grew all there it was kind of mentally challenging I think to be locked down so it just gave us something to gave me something to do to focus on and after a while I was like god I've written 10,000 words I've written 30,000 words I've you know and I spoke to the boys at Gridiron and we were like we should probably just put this together as something that's you know because otherwise it'll be it's a great resource for me um, on draft day, but actually it'd be great for just to be able to, for other people to get something out of it, which hopefully is what they've been able to do. And so, yeah, and actually, this, ironically, this afternoon, I'm, I was, uh, I was just, uh, I'm up to about 10 and a half thousand words for 2022. So I was doing, <laughs> did a couple of hours of that this afternoon, which is, uh, yeah, so it's been good. It's been really enjoyable to do and, and kind of just get under the skin of, of some of these prospects uh, and really dig into their backgrounds and talk to you know people in the scouting community that I know about you know, some of the players and some of those background stories and things, because obviously haven't been able to go to games, haven't been able to, you know, reconnect to people that I know out there. And, uh, and you, you know, you talk to so many people in press boxes and stuff and, and build relationships. So that's kind of been lacking, but it's been, it's been a, a really interesting project to do. Simon, the level of detail is, is unreal and it's so comprehensive. You're probably best served to tell us who you felt were the, the biggest surprises in the first round, with the exception of the Raiders. So I think at this stage, it's become a common team around that pick but is there any other selections that you were kind of thinking that's a dare big shock compared to I suppose compared to the analysis which you put together yeah do you know I thought the first round was really 
quiet and it, and it was really bizarre because we were sat watching it. I was sat with Matthew Sherry, who was the former Gridiron editor, who's one of my closest friends. We always get together on draft night in each other's houses, depending on which year it is. This year it was at my place. And um, the, the Aaron Rodgers news broke and we were like, you know, the next three or four hours could be, some, you know, some of the most incredible um, that we ever witnessed. And actually, I thought it, it, it was really the opposite. It was actually quite a mundane first round. There wasn't a lot of trades. There weren't really a lot of, you know, I mean, I, I worked it out this morning, <clears throat> excuse me, I had 42 of the top 50 players that were drafted in my top 50. So, uh, and I, I don't say that to, to blow my own trumpet, but I just say that in that actually it was, was relatively predictable, I think. I, the biggest shock for me was was Jeremiah Arusu-Koromoa falling as, as far as he did. I actually liked Alex Leatherwood, but the interesting thing about the Raiders was that it almost felt like Trevor Morig should have been the pick that they took, at, um, the guy that they took at 17, and Alex Leatherwood, the guy they took in the second round in terms of the quality. Peyton Turner, obviously, is a guy that sort of, I felt, had a sort of a, a round three or a late round two, early round three grade. But apart from that, there wasn't really any shocks. I mean, I thought the Giants taking Kadarius Tony, given some of the off-field issues, um, uh, especially with what happened with DeAndre Baker, I felt like, you know, that was a bit of a risk with with Elijah Moore still on the board, if that was the, the area they wanted to go in. But generally, there weren't any kind of wow, you know, there were no real wow moments. The Bears moving up for Justin Fields was probably the the big moment. But it, it wasn't, a, I didn't feel, I don't know what you guys felt, but, but it certainly didn't feel like a, an extraordinary first round in terms of, you know, something happening out of the blue or unusual that perhaps we might not have predicted. We, we, we just felt tired because we covered it live. Yeah. I think we were just shattered. Yeah. It. But, uh, yeah, I, I think that's a good summary. I mean, the Bears' move up was obviously the most dramatic and mm. everybody knew what they were doing, but it's still great to see. But, yeah, it was quite enough. Um, very conscious, obviously, the, the draft is still going on um, live at the moment. Uh, you'll be glad to know. I always love to see a long snapper drafted and Cameron Cheeseman of Michigan on the bottom sixth round to, to, to uh, the Washington football team. I heard he said it's not easy being cheesy, but uh, um, <laughs> goodness me, <laughs> try and try make that mind myself. But talking of cheese, the cheese heads, and you kind of alluded to it, have been going a little bit crazy the last while because the biggest story, obviously, other than all the young men making their way into the NFL, has been that I know some prima donna who led his team down in the NFC Championship game, even though the team's gone thirteen and three the last two seasons, is apparently demanding that he be released from that team. And I'm just wondering, you can tell my view on it, but what is your take on all of the noise coming out of Wisconsin and from Aaron Rodgers currently? I would be surprised if Aaron Rodgers plays another game for the Green Bay Packers, which is a fairly remarkable statement. But it does feel like when Aaron Rodgers says something, he kind of, you know, there's a line in the sand and it feels like that he's drawn that line and he's not going to go back. And when you when you hear that Mark Murphy and Brian Gutenkunst and... Uh, and um, and Matt Lafleur have been flying out to California three, four, five times in the off season, and they are still in this situation. I think that tells you an awful lot about where we are. Um, I think, will he? I mean, does he need to continue playing? Of course, you know he's the, he's the reigning most valuable player. He's still clearly got three, four, five years left uh, in that arm, which shows absolutely no signs of dissipating. But you know. The way that the Jordan Love situation was handled, not necessarily drafting Jordan Love. I think Rogers can understand that from a business decision. But you hear today with with um, uh, Ryan Pace saying that you know they contacted Andy Dalton, who had joined the team what six weeks ago, two months ago, to say that you know this is the situation. 
We're going on the clock in a sec. We're going to move up for Justin Fields. We just want to let you know. You've been there six weeks. Aaron Rodgers has been in, you know, has been in Green Bay since 2005. And yet nobody in that organisation, not, not the general manager, the head coach, not Mark Murphy, nobody there could phone Aaron Rodgers and say, Aaron, we're going to, you know, if this guy is on the clock or if this guy is still on the board when we're on the clock, we're going to go and get him. And you understand that it's a business. And I think that would really have irked Rodgers. And I kind of understand that. And they came off, a, you know, two seasons ago, they, they were beaten um, comprehensively in the NFC Championship game. But you thought, you know, every team has a window. And there is a clear window. You've got the perfect left tackle in David Bakhtiari. You've got the quarterback. You've got Devontae Adams. You've got defensive players. You've got Kenny Clark. All those sorts of things. You've got Jair Alexander developing into one of the best corners in the league. And it just felt like now was the perfect opportunity just to load up on some offensive skill players to complement Adams, to take that safety that's been rolled over the top, you know, uh, to help Robert Tonyan, who was developing. Because, you know, with the greatest respect to Marcus Valdez scandling and those guys, those they are, you know, three and four receivers in terms of, you know, um, how you number them in, in terms of their, their talent level. And it just felt like that extra push by getting, by bringing in a receiver. And Roger said, you know, he'd, he'd watched a lot of Justin Jefferson and, and Brandon Ayuk at Arizona State and felt like, you know, this could be, you know, he and he talked up Jefferson a lot and it felt like, go out and get yourself a Justin Jefferson. What a perfect compliment to to uh, Devontae Adams. And we obviously saw, you know, hindsight's a beautiful thing. We saw what happened with Jefferson this season. But I just think, uh, and how, how much do you have felt on on Thursday night when Elijah Moore's still on the board and they go and take a corner? And look, they need a corner. They need a corner more than anything. But I, I, it already feels like those bridges have been broken so badly that it wouldn't have mattered who they drafted on Thursday night. It, I don't believe that Aaron Rodgers will play another snap for the Green Bay Packers. As, as shocking as that sounds, I think it's Jordan Love's team moving forward. So whether he retires, whether they deal him, the Denver Broncos obviously been talked about, who knows? But um, I don't think we'll see uh, Rogers back at Lambeau again, certainly not as a Green Bay Packer. Simon, whilst the circumstances are slightly different, if you if you think back to 2008 when Brett Favre retired and then he unretired, but mm. he came out there after and said how it was handled within the front office was very disappointing. He was getting mixed information and they weren't bringing him up, up to speed on certain things and he felt he'd been there so long that he was worthy of having that information before they did things. So it's kind of, it feels like it's kind of a, a rerun of, of a quite a similar situation to a certain extent. Absolutely, especially for a team that prides itself on that community feel and the, you know, the the fan ownership and the history involved. And you feel like the Packers kind of do things differently and it's traditional. And you, you go to Green Bay and you go to that town, as I have on a number of occasions, to that stadium. It just it feels different. It, it bleeds football, and you just feel like. It should be handled differently, and I, I, you know, I feel sorry for Rogers that that it hasn't been, and it, it's you know, it's hard to feel sorry for somebody who's you know got a lot of money like he has lives a lifestyle. But you know, we're all human, and we almost think, you know, what what more do I need to do? That must be what he's thinking. What more do I need to do? I've been to two AFC, uh, two NFC championships, the last two years. I, I I played at an MVP level, and I came into I came into sort of early Thursday morning, late Wednesday night, thinking wouldn't surprise me if Jordan Love got traded here. You know, somebody like the Patriots, somebody like the Raiders, the Washington football team, you know, I, I felt like that was an absolute possibility. We ended Thursday night by thinking, this is Jordan Love's team and Aaron Rodgers might not play another day and he might actually be traded. So I, I just, yeah, just goes back to my initial point. Just the way it was handled, I just thought was was really bad. And it's okay to want to move on from Aaron Rodgers. It's okay to draft his replacement. But I just don't feel like it's okay or professional, really, 
to, to treat somebody who's done so much for your organization in that manner? Well, as a, as a Broncos fan, obviously being non-biased, it, it is okay to trade Aaron Rodgers <laughs> and it is okay to let him go if, if, if he wants. I'll tell you one thing, Simon, it's, it's ironic because there, look, there's never a dull moment in this league, but my God, they have set up the next four or five months beautifully here for us now. Monday morning, what are we going to do now? The schedule's out now. Oh, Aaron Rodgers, yeah, the whole thing's going on. But um, from from one quarterback to another, uh, I guess we sort of touched on Justin Fields there, but Mac Jones going to the Patriots, just, you know, obviously with your research and thoughts, just buying that move? Um, I mean, I, I think schematically, he's a fit, obviously. Um, I, I don't, I, I wouldn't necessarily class myself as a Mac Jones fan. I, I, to me, he wasn't really a first round quarterback. Feels like a bit of a one year wonder, obviously. Um, and looking at the league has changed so much over the past five, 10, 15 years, but so much at the quarterback position really over the past five or six years, you know, and he lacks those outstanding physical traits, you know, clearly mentally very, very able. Um, but I just think in terms of manipulation of the pocket, in terms of his footwork under pressure, those sorts of things, I just did not see a first round quarterback. And, uh, and you know, it, it, I wrote in the I wrote in the draft guide that it felt to me like he was an elite game manager. And, and that's not necessarily a criticism because that, that's ultimately what he is. Yes, he's accurate down the field and he has just about enough ability to to pick up yards with his feet where necessary. But I, I, I'm not sold that. In five years' time, Mac Jones will still be the, the starting quarterback of the New England Patriots. Um, he was a, a significant and distant um, fifth place behind behind what I cast as the top four. So I'm kind of continuing the, the QB team. Um, I know, say, Peter King had done a piece where looking at the fact that back in the 80s, like quarterbacks did, maybe didn't go until like, you know, the 40th pick or thereabouts. And obviously this year we've seen the, the five go. And looking at the Rodgers situation, also in terms of we've seen Russell Wilson come out and obviously before all the legal issues, um, uh, Watson down, down, down in Texas. So you've you three really superstars of the league who've come out and said they wanted to be traded, various, various different factors. Just your, your thoughts, that, I mean, we saw Carson Palmer kind of, you know, fight his way out of the Bengals, but you're going back a decade for that. We haven't seen anything quite like that since. Is this a, a new era in the NFL with superstar quarterbacks kind of maybe setting setting their, their terms a little bit, looking at the Kirk Cousins deal a, as well, kind of just kind of factoring in the way things have gone in the last maybe three years or thereabouts? Yeah, I feel, it feels like it's a little bit overdue, actually, in the NFL. You look at certainly at basketball where player power is much more, um, players are much more on the front foot. But, it, you know, it, it still felt quite shocking when you heard Deshaun Watson come out and say, you know, I'm not playing for the Texans anymore and the ball is in your court. You either move me or, you know, and would he retire? I don't know. But what era of the NFL would we ever sit? You know, I grew up in that kind of, I started watching the game in, in 84. Could you ever imagine that three of the top five quarterbacks back then, you know, Montana, Marino, guys like that would, would say, I'm not playing for, for my team anymore. I, I'll retire or I want to be traded. It, would, it was utterly, utterly unthinkable. It would just, it would never happen. And now all of a sudden, within the space of what, three months, we have literally three of the top five quarterbacks in the NFL saying, one explicitly in Deshaun Watson, one fairly explicitly in Aaron Rodgers, and one, you know, you certainly got the impression that Russell Wilson, whilst kind of trying to, safe face for the Seattle fans. You, you, you felt like his agent was certainly working very hard behind the scenes to, to get something done. So it's just, um, it, I think it's a, a welcome evolution, but I think it's, um, 
you know, if you're a Houston fan, no, no matter how badly that that organization had been run, you would feel like you'd want to give the new head coach, the new general manager, a little benefit of the doubt. But it clearly goes much higher, and Cal McNair feels like the issue. Obviously, you know, whatever's going on with Jack Easterby is clearly a, a massive problem. Um, and uh, you could probably write a book and a movie and a follow-up movie and, a, and another book on, on the Jack Easterby situation. But yeah, it's um, it'll be very interesting to see where this goes over the next few years and whether or not you know we then get the the, the Josh Allens and the, you know the, what will be the situation moving forward. Will we just get a, a quarterback like a, a Josh Allen or a, you know somebody of that ilk who just decides that? And I'm just picking his name not for any reason other than it's the first that came into my head. Who literally retires, you know? Who, who pulls a Robert Smith of the Minnesota Vikings a few years back, and just who obviously quit for a different reason, but just you know, Calvin Johnson, somebody that you know probably could have played on, who who just decides, you know what? Um, I don't need this anymore. I'm done with this. I don't love football enough for all the politics and all the stuff that goes on behind the scenes. It's fascinating to see what happens. Simon, so, as a Giants fan, I, I was pleasantly surprised to see David Gettleman maneuvering the board for the first time as a GM. Amazing. But, um, yeah, and I was just and then today I hear a lot of people say on, on podcast that next year having the additional picks will be even more yeah, you know, it'll be more helpful because teams will do a full comprehensive review of next year of players. Did you find when you're doing the analysis a little bit more difficult because of the updates and that? Yeah, it was really hard. Um it was really hard to to see, you know, take a player like Caleb Farley, for example, who I had much lower than other people because in the games, four or five games that I saw him in, in 2019, I struggled to, to get a good feel for him. I watched, you know, you watch him against, against Boston College and he's beaten deep and he's beaten across the field a couple of times. And I was scratching my head thinking, I just don't see. So on the Notre Dame game, straight away he's beaten on a crossing route by, um, by Chase Claypool. Then he's beaten by, by Cole Komet. Then he's beaten down the field on a, a jump ball by, by Claypool. And look, these, guys, these are good players, but you just think, wow, this is a guy that, is this really the guy that you know people are talking about as a top ten pick? And I just didn't see it. And so you want to you know kick on into twenty twenty and see where it's it's going to be. And then obviously you know the, the tragedy that happened with his mom and you understand completely. Well, I understand why everybody opted out, but you understand even more for somebody like Caleb Farley. Um, so it's quite difficult to get a grasp on guys. You look at Walker Little. Walker Little played one game since 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 twenty eighteen. I mean, how yeah he turned down his his um, invitation to the Senior Bowl. Um, you know, good for him that he ended up going in the second round, but you know that's an awful risk for for Jacksonville for a guy who's 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 not played. It's really difficult to to be able to judge, and you and you're you know picking up information. I've talked to, to to some scouts, and I'm a Dolphins fan, so I've talked to a couple of Dolphins scouts recently. And they're like, it's it's just been so difficult for us to to gather the same sort of information that we would ordinarily be able to gather, not just on a uh, on the playing side, but as you touched upon, the medical situation is is so much more difficult. And we're seeing players like you know I, I've not seen the last sort of five or six picks, maybe a few more. But you know a guy like Dylan Moses, for example, of Alabama, who before he he damaged his knee would probably have been a you know a first or a second round pick. And you know, Dylan Moses was still on the board coming into the seventh round, and and it's because it, there's an incomplete medical picture, and and regardless of um, you know the lateness of the draft. Teams are just not willing to, to to put those things on the line when it comes to medical situations and, and paying out money and, and and roster spots for guys that they just don't trust because of that that medical history. So hopefully next year it will be it will be different. And and even this year you get, you, you look at the um you look at the the way that play, players were able to be scouted in stadium. Certain teams were only allowed to. There was almost like a lottery, um, almost like a draft of which teams could go to which games. Um, 
you know, and it was trying to be done fairly so that all teams got to see as many players as possible. But because of um, COVID restrictions and because of um, social distancing, you know, I'm sure you've been to games as well. You, you know, you go into a press box and for big games, I mean, I was at, the last game I was at was Clemson, Texas A&M in 2019. And, you know, there were four GMs in there and uh, a number of, you know, directors of player personnel and probably 70 or 80 scouts. That just didn't happen last season. It was, you know, a real minimum six, eight for, for really big games. And so it just makes it increasingly difficult. And I, and I came into this draft thinking that there would be a lot of high, and maybe that was why the first round was quite, sort of chilled. I, I thought there would be a lot of high floor players, i.e. safer college players, rather than, you know, uh, guys with big upside who you might yeah. you know, see develop in three or four years, because I just thought teams just couldn't take it, you know, risky enough as it is in a normal year, but to do so in a in the just sort of discombobulated environment that we've got is, is so much harder. Yeah. So, Simon, Dylan Moses only had a few more slots to drop to the Patriots to pick their last pick, so that's all I want. And I love the fact you called out like Wilson and uh, Rogers and all that, but uh, and um, Watson, you know. But still, they're all still with their team, so they we're are. Wait, obviously, and have five months of fun talking in the off season about all of that. We could be, um, but, we could be into next season all three have retired. I mean, yeah, you know. yeah, you, you never know. Look, Simon, I'm very conscious. You, you know, we're disturbing you right in the middle no, of the draft, good. and you're trying to juggle everything. Want to call out again the amazing work Gridiron have done, the Gridiron Draft Book, which is a great piece of work and obviously very, very comprehensive across so many prospects, 250 prospects across it all. And just to thank you so much um, for joining us today and giving us your thoughts on the draft and everything. Really appreciate it, man. Um, and hopefully, Mike, get you on again some other time soon to have a my, chat. My absolute pleasure. Loved it. It was lovely talking to you. So, all of us, thank you. Okay, guys. Thank, thank you. Thanks. Uh, get that draft guide. It's available now. Gridiron. Uh, just search Gridiron on Twitter as well. It's three pounds, three euro fifty. Get it in. But we've another guest now. Final guest. The guy that's busy. You can see him already laughing. I'm, I'm worried that there's going to be a trade, so we'll just bring him on very quickly. Cam Inman. Cam, how are you? How are you? Welcome. I, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. And I, my anxiety of a possible 49ers trade is uh, dissipated rapidly compared to what it was on Thursday, whether they were going to trade for Aaron Rodgers, get rid of Jimmy Garoppolo or what in the world might happen. And <laughs> we can kind of breathe now and kind of see that, okay, they have a plan that they said they're going with that I kind of believe and I'm all for. Basically, um, if anybody's watching this and I'm, I'm they're just going like, who's coming in? Cam writes about the 49ers. Uh, you're talking there about something happening, Cam. We had Ian Rappaport on a few weeks or last week, and he had to jump off four times. So believe me, it should be okay. It shouldn't be too bad. But uh, Cam, just, and, and we asked this for everybody who's coming on for the first time, have you any um, Irish connections? Have you any affinity to Ireland? Um, well... One of my great friends that lives here uh, is from uh, Southwest Ireland and grew up on a golf course. And um, I promised to go over and play with him. He has a brother's open uh, every summer where there's the two families with a bunch of brothers have a great uh, duel. So uh, that's my goal. I'm a, I'm a big time golfer and um, I played St. Andrews, but I haven't made it to Ireland. So that's a bucket list. And when I do, I'm coming looking for all of you. We'll, we'll be happy to, to welcome you in. Yeah, there's so quite a, a few superb courses here for, for you to play. Um, I suppose, look, the, the 49ers synonymous with um, quarterbacks, um, but the th Thursday night, we, we all knew it was going to be a quarterback. 
uh, that they had given what they had given up. Can you talk us through what, what you had heard in, in the lead up to it? Did, did you think it was going to be Matt Jones? Did you think it was going to be Lance? Uh, what, what, was, what were your thoughts in the lead up? And were you, uh, you know, in the aftermath, were you surprised? Uh, let's just start right away. Yes, I was surprised, but let's get to why I was surprised. Um, I think a lot of people were surprised. Um, when they made the trade March 26th to go up from number 12 to number three, we all understood it was going to be a quarterback. And so you start connecting the dots and realize they're not going to be able to get Trevor Lawrence or Zach Wilson. Um, Kyle Shannon had a history with Justin Fields going back to when Fields was in his high school camp or something in 2017. That's not the rationale for it, but he also played for a big-time program, had a lot of traits that would work well in today's NFL. So I kind of figured that he'd be my favorite, but I wasn't going to latch on to anything until a few days before the draft because I like to see how the process goes and talk to a lot of people. I did, a, I did an extensive project last week on the three quarterback options of Fields, Mac Jones, and Trey Lance, and... Uh, you know, I talked to Trey Lance's father, who actually was in the 49ers training camp on their last Super Bowl winning team, and it took me weeks to finally get him to talk to me. And it was a cool story, and I really was falling in love with, you know, the idea of Trey Lance joining the 49ers, but it seemed like a long shot. Um, a, a guy that had only played basically one year of small school football, um, only had 318 college passes where guys had twice or three times as many as that, and a guy that really ran the ball a lot more than Kyle Shanahan's style has been outside of uh, Robert Griffin III. So I wasn't sold on him. And I had talked to a couple of people around the league in the ensuing days, and one of them really made a compelling reason why Mac Jones would be the best quarterback for them. Uh, was not from the 49ers that was telling me this, but um, and I heard this from other people too, just how Mac Jones is accurate, um, especially so on third downs and in the red zone, and you need that in the playoffs because – dual threat quarterbacks don't necessarily work in the playoffs unless they're magical like Patrick Mahomes, like Russell Wilson, and apparently like Trey Lance because they took Trey Lance on Thursday night. Just just uh, referring to the off offensive line, I know like, leading up to the draft, the quarterback situation was one of the biggest storylines, but just in free agency, they brought in Alex Mack. Obviously, it's the Trent Williams monster contract. I know it was second round last night they took uh, guard banks and then in the third round they followed up again with an offensive tackle is that a, an area that they're really concerned of just leading into the next season no matter who's quarterback whether it's Jimmy G or whether it's the um, the new quarterback in Trey Lance yeah and, and in fact I think probably the first column I wrote this offseason was they better fix that offensive line because it's not going to matter which quarterback they have and they just needed to solidify some things and re-signing Trent Williams was the number one priority Getting Alex Mack to be the center was tremendous. And then the guards are such an unsexy position. America, we just love quarterbacks, but it's the damn guards. You can't overlook them, right? Some of these guys now, and the NFL is kind of circling back to this, is people are investing in the guards. And the Niners did that. Their two offensive linemen they drafted are both guards. Um, the big one is Aaron Banks, an All-American out of Notre Dame. And a lot of my colleagues figure that he's going to slot in at right guard and solve that rotation. Um, I don't think so. I think the bigger move would be to put him at left guard, which is where Lakin Tomlinson has played for four years. Um, but he hasn't played at an all-pro or Pro Bowl level, and he costs a lot of money. And the 49ers just spent a second-round draft pick on a guy that was an All-American left guard. So I connect those dots to say put him there. Um, 
find they have a couple other guys that can play right guard. I mean, if they put them at right guard, that's fine and keep the other guy. It's a lot of money. Um, but yes, you have to uh, get that offensive line solidified to protect Jimmy Garoppolo from further injury or your new draft pick whenever he gets in there. Um, I'm a Patriots fan. I used to always say about Jimmy Garoppolo, Garoppolo they call him Mr. Glass, quoting uh, Unbreakable. But I mean, you've seen that in 49ers land, obviously, as well. Like, you can't rely upon him. So hopefully, uh, Trey Lance will be more durable. But as you say, protecting the offensive line, the other thing that's fascinating to me is obviously, again, the 49ers invested in running backs, two picked up this draft. The running game has been so strong and so efficient consistently. You know, great credit to Kyle Shannon, Mike McDaniel. Um, Robert Turner, your your running backs coach, who's been there about 20 odd years at this stage. I mean, he's, you know, uh, very consistent. But that running game powered the 49ers to the Super Bowl only two years ago. Of course, uh, the NFC Championship game was the epitome of that. Um, is that really what you need to get up and running to help? Whether, again, whether it's Jimmy Garoppolo, whether it's Trey Lance. Um, and is that along with the acquisition of Carl Shan? Oh, sorry, the acquisition, the re-signing of Carl Juszczyk. Uh, a core part of that for you for the 49ers this season. Yeah, you know, you look at what they've done um, with this offseason, and it is very run-centric. And this is a team that is one of the best run-oriented teams. And we just got off a post-draft call with Kyle Shanahan, and he doesn't want he doesn't want people to know that. It's like, no, 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 we are 50-50 pass run. We don't want to be one-dimensional. It's like, dude, you got you just drafted two really good running backs. You have possibly two of the best, like if you're, if anybody was doing a tandem, you could have had maybe the best tandem in the NFL with Mostert and Jeff Wilson if they're healthy. But he also realizes that his running backs get hurt every year. Every year they're going through four or five running backs. So now they're about four or five deep um, of starting caliber running backs. You throw in Trey Lance in there, although I wouldn't throw him in as a runner, and Kyle Shanahan's not going to. Uh, he doesn't see this guy as being a Lamar Jackson type runner. Uh, running quarterback, which was what Colin Kaepernick essentially was uh, during his heyday here too. So um, the run game is vital. And re-signing Kyle Juszczyk, a perennial pro bowler, was excellent as well because um, he's so dynamic, not just as a lead blocker, but he can do other things out of the backfield and um, his leadership. It's it's invaluable. So, yes, it's a um, – I, I thought there was very much a concerted effort to um, – Give the, kind of give that run game a better spark as well. Just kind of keep it going. And guess what? This drafting two guys in the last two days with Trey Sermon and um, was it Elijah Turner or um, from Louisiana yeah. today? Anyhow, those two guys they put uh, Mostert and Wilson on notice. Basically, you know the Niners haven't invested draft picks in running backs really yeah. over the years, and um, they did twice. It was um, uh, Mitchell, I think Elijah Mitchell was it? Elijah Mitchell, correct. Guy runs a four point three three, and I said. Said, can you quantify how fast that is? And he just chuckled and he said that he dropped weight, he's even faster, and he just can't wait to get in the open field and show us. I'm like, okay. So. Um, I was going to ask you, Cam, you've just come from something with Kyle Shanahan. Did he this time promise that someone could be alive? Um, well, we're going to have to we're going to have to follow this up tomorrow, aren't we? Hey, you know, he talked about that the other day, saying he really he's very he has fun with certain reporters, and it was. He said this kind of stuff before, too, because you can't guarantee anything in sports or in life. And so it was just so morbid. And everybody's like, 
oh, after the year we've had, can we just have some kind of levity? And instead, people take it. So, oh, no, <laughs> Kyle, Shea, I can't guarantee any of us are going to be alive in the world on Sunday. So um, we've got a few. You, you guys are ahead of me. So you, are you on Sunday already yet? You're all alive? Is that correct? <laughs> 54 minutes to go. Uh, here, I'll oh. tell you what, Cam, if you don't, if you don't mind, I'm going to try. We're going to try, if you don't mind, and nab one more quick question each, because I know something could happen. Who knows, but we'll, we'll try. Cam, we're going to do something that I haven't done with these guys yet, and I'm going to embarrass myself here, but um, these guys haven't seen this. I was lucky to go to the first event at Levi's uh, back in 20, 2014? 2014. There I am, fresh-faced. Little did I know that, uh, that, 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 that my own team would win the Super Bowl two years later there. Different conversation. You've covered the 49ers since 2000, uh, if I'm correct. Yeah. I went to Candlestick and went yeah. to the like to the right before it was shut, before it was knocked down. And the history, even just walking through it was incredible. Do you miss that now being at Levi's or do you think Levi's you know coming into its first decade now in a couple of years is starting to build its own history in that sense? Let me put it in Irish terms the best I can. Do you walk into a pub, your familiar pub, it's not the <laughs> nicest pub, there's beer stains and the smell, the Guinness. You know where to go to get it, and it's just you know where the trolley. It's just it's your home, right? It's not the best one. They tear it down. They move you to the other side of town. You're in a nice place. It costs a lot more money. Um, the only way that's going to be better is if you create best, great memories there of championships and playoff wins, right? And they were just starting to do that. They won the NFC Championship game there in 2019, and then the pandemic hit. There was no fans allowed in in 2000. The team gets kicked out of the state uh for all of december so um now i can't wait to get back into that new pub because i really miss it i miss anything i miss going anywhere so uh <laughs> you know august and september can't get here fast enough and um i really wish my passport was ready so i could just come to ireland for the months in between <laughs> Um, well, the, the off-season has uh, seen some changes uh, on the coaching staff as well. Obviously, um, the, the Jets uh, taking uh, Robert Saleh up there, and, and he took uh, a few um, of the, the 49ers coaching staff with him. Do you think uh, that will lead to, um, to some changes? Um, you know, uh, obviously, there have been promotions within, but do you, how, how much change do you think we, we might see in terms of what the 49ers do on the defensive side of the ball? Yeah, that's that's kind of a lingering question because we have not gotten a chance to speak with our new defensive coordinator who was hired or promoted four months ago, and that's D'Amico Ryans. Um, and he was a linebacker's coach, former all-pro linebacker, uh, uh, great demeanor. I've obviously watched him in practice, watched him uh, train Fred Warner into an all-pro. Um, I don't expect their defense to change too much, but I think if anything, it will be more aggressive than we saw a couple of years ago. Now, remember in 2019, they made it to the Super Bowl because they had a great front four. They didn't have to blitz much. And then last year, Nick Bosa got hurt, D Ford got hurt, and they had no pass rush. So they had to send whatever they could to disrupt the passer. And in doing so, I think some of these players uh, showed what they can do in that situation. And knowing D'Amico Ryans is a former linebacker, he may want to send a couple of the quicker linebackers uh, to get them more involved in the pass rush than Robert Sala did. And um, But on the defensive front, they still have Chris Kosarek, uh, and he knows how to get those linemen going. So, uh, yeah, and, you know, and then the secondary, you don't have Richard Sherman back there like you did the last three years. He's not a coach, but he certainly was on the field with everybody back there. So uh, that cornerback core is going to be – a lot different to see if they can ramp those guys up. That's what they drafted two cornerbacks in this draft. Jason Verrett is 
a surefire starter. I'm not sure if Emmanuel Mosley deserves to be. And uh, Kwan Williams is back as a nickelback. So, yeah, defensive coaching, possible changes. Offensive, I don't see any change. Kyle Shanahan is the, the point man there. Um, the only change you're going to see is if uh, Trey Lance is taking snaps while your guy, Mr. Glass, I don't think Jimmy Garoppolo is Glass, by the way. I think he was a uh, part of some unfortunate injuries, blowing out his uh, knee, trying to get some extra yards for his team. And then the ankle sprains last year came because the left guard, Lakin Tomlinson, uh, allowed a sack and that ruined Garoppolo's season and pretty much essentially uh, opened the door for Trey Lance to come in now. Cam, I suppose with the 49ers moving up to, to the third spot in the draft, and usually when you're up that high, it's because it's just a complete reset on the way the Jags, the Jets, with new quarterbacks. So head coaches get a lot more time to kind of, I suppose, re recreate the new team. But with the 49ers being so stacked and only being two years removed from the Super Bowl, if the Lambs, if he gets in at a certain part of the season and things aren't going well, and maybe it leads into next year, how, how much pressure does it put on John Lynch and Kyle Shannon? And what's What's the window of opportunity now for these two in terms of staying yeah. here in the long term? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and that's one reason I kind of thought it might be Mac Jones because they, they, I didn't think that they, there's time to develop. The, the window to open it to win a championship is open. They got to do it in the next two, three years. Uh, if there's not a Lombardi trophy, a six Lombardi trophy um, in their trophy case, I think those guys are going to have to step aside. You can't go eight years in the NFL without producing a Super Bowl. And if they're struggling in year three with Trey Lance as a quarterback, then obviously they've made the wrong pick and their heads will be rolling. And I really like these two guys. I think Kyle Shannon and John Lynch, it's the most stable front office I've seen in 20 years with the 49ers. And, uh, you know, but when I was, I came in and started covering the team when Bill Walsh was finishing up his days as general manager with Steve Mariucci. And then they transitioned to Terry Donahue and then that didn't work. That backfired. And they went through a lot of different coaching changes. And then Harbaugh and Trent Bulky imploded. Um, these two guys, I mean, there's going to there's gonna be rumors out there, whether one liked one quarterback and one liked the other. Um, right now, they're painting it as they both loved Trey Lance from the get-go in January and were further convinced. And I'm fine. I don't care as long as they're winning and things are going along well. I don't think we need to know what's going on behind the scenes unless they start spreading nasty rumors about each other, which happened with a couple previous regimes ago. Uh, Cam, I should explain. I mean, I'm a Patriots fan, so I'm just I'm just jealous that we only got to see Jimmy GQ for one and a half games before he got injured in New England yeah, yeah. as well. So that, that's why they missed the glass. But <laughs> I hear you. Yeah. You mentioned about the coaches you've seen over the years, and I'm just thinking, like, you've seen through the Mike Nolan era, the Mike Singletree era, which had its hot spots, and then you've seen yeah. Jim Tomasula and Chip Kelly, who may be the, the less said the better in relation to those eras, obviously, in San Fran. But you've covered the team now for 21 years, obviously. Uh, that's right, 2000, you're 21. Sorry, just checking my own maths. Um, but you've covered the team for 21 years. You know, any particular moments in that time, whether with the coaches or whether an individual player that particularly stands out, any stories you could share with us that the 49ers community, of which there are many in Ireland, you can imagine, and in Europe, uh, would be interested to hear about your experiences there? <laughs> There's too many. I mean, I grew up in the Bay Area, right? So, I mean, I grew up watching Joe Montana win the four Super Bowls. I've gotten to know Steve Young really well over the last 15. I never got a cover mitt when he was playing, but I've gotten to know him really well over the last 15 years. We get along great. Um, probably my favorite athlete to interview still to this day. Just anything. He just teaches me a lot of stuff. 
Um, boy, uh, you know, here's something that I, I will tell you my favorite part about the job uh, has been traveling um, across countries, made it over to the UK, obviously, to see uh, the 49ers play the Jaguars. Uh, I just adored the um, going around the world and, and meeting people and, and just seeing new stadiums. And I'm telling you, just this past year, while we haven't been able to get out, I think everybody can't wait to get out to games again. And regardless of if you're a 49er fan or not, or uh, whatever NFL team, um, I encourage you if you're if you're vaccinated, you can travel, go go out to a game because it's just it, it it fuels so much of our life and it just it's it's great. So that, I would just that's what I'd have to say. Tom, uh, thanks a moment for your time. You know, for just for a start, man, like it's a draft. You're a busy man. Florida Niners are making moves. We, we appreciate your time. You're welcome on any time. If there's a London game, we'll, we'll okay. definitely meet you halfway as well. But uh, thanks a million. At Cam Inman on Twitter as well. Cam, thanks a million for your time, man. All the best. Thank you. Thanks, Cam. Bye-bye. All the best. Thank you. Uh, great to talk to 49ers. going to be interesting to see how they get on this year. How many games will it take for Trey Lance to come in? Boys, that, that's it for tonight. Did you enjoy that? No? Baby, that, picture, that, picture baby, was Michael. Sorry. that is me from Levi Stadium. Uh, Fresh it's, it's face. Great, it's see, see, what's that again? No, it's great to see you proclaiming all these trips that you're going to and using your brother's photograph. It's fantastic. Seattle Sounders against uh, had, San Jose Earthquakes. Yeah, we, we had, we, I think a little bit back, we had uh, Cam on there and we didn't get to tell him that, you know, Colm's actually fallen in love with his quarterback for the last uh, month or so. So um, maybe the 49ers will be your secret second team this season, Colm. Well, I have uh, my my uncle was in uh, San Francisco, so they they tried to convert me as a child, even with that. But even despite seeing the Broncos in that still record defeat in the Super Bowl, because we're really good at getting to them and getting annihilated, um, you know, uh, I I wasn't uh, being converted. Uh, I, I will. I will say uh, at this point we're what uh, an hour and fifteen minutes in. I think more than ever, um, Mark, that you are correct that uh, Aaron Rodgers will will not be traded um, because if you saw today, you'll notice that he um, the, the demands were were made. Um, he wants the GM fired. Um, so I think this is this is a power play rather than uh, anything else. I think we have now seen. Uh, you know, the the ransom note has come in. Let's see if the the ransom is paid. No. And like Aaron Rodgers, he's going to be watching the Kentucky Derby shortly, and I want to be watching that race very shortly too. So let's um, not on for another forty-two minutes. Um, so, I mean, yeah. you're going to do me analysis. <laughs> Can we just put it out there now? Because we are an hour and fifteen minutes in, and it's a totally related subject. Don't get the hype. The Grand National is a lot better. Talking about something that's a lot better than the Kentucky Derby. Let's put Mark full screen after this announcement. See you guys tomorrow night. Mark is going to be on one more night, and. Uh, Looking forward to it. There is Justin Fields, who is the future Super Bowl winner with the Bears, apparently. So looking forward to talking about that tomorrow night. We're going to try and get a few guests on again. I want to thank everybody for watching tonight's show. Thank all the guests coming on. Ben, really enjoy the chat with Simon and obviously Cam there now as well. Boys, thanks a million for your time. We've done it again. Go we all good. Slon. Slon. I got to give a shout out to uh, Brian O'Leary.